Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the book of Psalms. I'm turning to Psalm 133. Psalm 133 on page 519. This has the heading, A Song of Ascents of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Unity is something that is widely recognized as uh, advantageous. Uh, People uh, recognize that unity is a good thing. Uh, And just think of all the benefits that come when people are united together. When people pool their resources together, they're able to achieve more. And the benefits are able to be shared more broadly. Uh, And so we recognize that being united is a good thing, something we should strive after. We also recognize that unity is important because we're communal creatures. We're social creatures and we long for a a sense of belonging, uh, a community that we're part of. But this evening as we're turning in God's word, we want to look at this psalm and we want to be able to appreciate unity even beyond that. We want to see that unity is something that God gives to us and something that we are to cherish in that sense. Psalm 133 is a psalm that celebrates the unity amongst God's people and it directs us to see Uh, the greatest unity of all uh, in the Lord himself. So we want to think about this psalm and see why it is that we can celebrate the unity that God brings. We want to think about this psalm just in two thoughts. We want to think about an assessment of unity. Uh, What should we think about unity? And then secondly, an appreciation for that unity or how it's compared, how it's being described and set before us in the second half of this psalm. Well, first, there is the assessment in verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. He calls attention to this. Behold, look. Uh, He wants to get our attention as we think about the importance of unity. And he begins by saying, unity is something good. Uh, Good, not just in the sense of practical benefits, like we were saying. Pulling our resources together, we achieve more. Uh, being united allows us to have a sense of belonging. But here the word good not only carries the practical benefits with it, but it is also that which is in accordance with the will of God. That's what is good. It is the realization of God's will when people are united together. And so there is this assessment that is being given here. This is God's desire that people would be united together. This is the will of God. But then he also gives a second description. Not only is it described as good, but it's described as pleasant. 
It's described as something beautiful, something that is attractive. Uh, and uh, this uh, really uh, captures the importance of unity. It is something good. It, it has a good end to it. It is God's uh, design to it. It's something that should be attractive to us as well. But here he really zeroes in on unity amongst brothers. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. When you stop and think about the people of Israel, they have a common heritage. Uh, what really defined and was the broad designation of the people of Israel is, is they could trace their lineage back to Abraham. They were descendants of Abraham. And so in one sense, you could say that many of the Israelites uh, shared a family line. Uh, they were, in one sense, brothers by uh, family connections. But here, when it talks about when brothers dwell in unity, it's not simply talking about natural bonds of family connections. And it's not even talking about the civil unity when a nation cooperates with one another, uh, where there is no upsetting or hostility existing amongst the people of that nation. Rather, the unity that is being accented here is the bond between believers who are united on the promises of God. That the Israel of God, as Paul would say, are those who have embraced God's promises to Abraham. They are believers of all ages that are united in faith. And so here, uh, this psalm begins by really calling attention to the value or the importance on being united with the people of God. Do we put that kind of emphasis on the importance of others in our own life of faith? Do we put an importance on the community of God's people in the way that we think about uh, honoring Christ, in the way that we think uh, about honoring God? Can we say that it is pleasant and good when brothers join together in fellowship and in worship? Or do we approach the Christian life more like a lone ranger, uh, going at it on our own, seeing next to little value in being part uh, with other believers uh, and sharing our lives with them? This psalm is really accenting the goodness of brothers dwelling together. And it should be seen as something precious when believers are able to be united together. I can remember a general assembly of our own denomination, and I can remember it uh, how speaker after speaker was talking about how it's nice to be at this general assembly, how it's nice to be gathered together with all these brothers uh, in uh, these church meetings. And I think at some point someone might have even made the comment, why uh, is everyone making that comment? But one elderly saint eventually stood up and addressed uh, the, the men that were there that day. And he said, I have been in this church long enough to be able to say that it hasn't always been good to gather together. That there have been times when division and strife have existed in the church. And so I do appreciate it when brothers are able to come together and live as brothers should. It's not something to take for granted, in other words. That people who profess to be believers can still be people who become divided 
they can become hostile, and that can become quite toxic. So as this psalm begins, you see how it's actually steering us from extremes, where a person says, I don't need others. They're just a burden on me. I'll do it on my own. But at the same time, it's able to say there's something precious that can be realized when the people of God live as they're supposed to live, like family, like brothers, that they're committed for the welfare of the whole, and they're not just living self-seeking lives. So this psalm really begins with the assessment. Unity is good. Unity is something attractive when people live as God has called them to live, as brothers and sisters in Christ. But this psalm, we want to spend most of our time really on the appreciation of this unity. Uh, The last two verses of this psalm, and really, he gives two comparisons. You notice it there in verse 2 and then again in verse 3. It is like, it is like. He gives a comparison uh, from the religious realm, of the anointing, and he gives us a comparison from the natural realm with the dew of Hermon. And we want to look at both of these comparisons. Uh, First, there is the comparison with the oil on the head. Oil was a common substance. It is a common substance, but it was a common substance even in the ancient world. It was used for all kinds of reasons. You would use it for refreshment, uh, if you were traveling by day in the, uh, in the sun, your skin would get baked. You would use oil to refresh your skin. Uh, if you were sick, oil was used as an ointment. But here, when it talks about the oil, it is talking especially or particularly about that anointing oil that was used when people were set apart for service. Men were set apart as prophets and priests and kings, and they were anointed with oil as one that was being consecrated to the Lord's work. The anointing of oil was to communicate that they were being consecrated and they were now being equipped with the spirit to carry out their work. And so when a priest was ordained to the priesthood, Aaron and his descendants would be anointed with oil. There would be oil that would be sprinkled on Aaron and on his clothes. He was now consecrated. He was set apart for a particular work. And that's the oil that is being described here. It is like the oil that is poured on the head of Aaron that is running down the beard on the beard of Aaron and running down on the collar of his robes. You notice there that it uses the language that it is like the precious oil. The oil that was used when Aaron was set apart was a blended oil or a blended substance uh, made up of myrrh, cinnamon, cane, and cassia. It would have been wonderfully fragrant. You would have smelled Aaron before you saw Aaron. That he was one whose presence uh, left an aroma to it. And so as he conducted his work It is a a reminder that he is doing the Spirit's work. He is doing the Lord's work in all that he does. But notice there again, it uses the language uh, that it was like the oil running down on his beard. It was sprinkled on his head. But there's nothing stingy here about the oil. It continues to run down 
Uh, it runs down and it moves from his head down to his robes uh, upon his garments. What, what did Aaron or the high priest wear? His breastpiece contained the 12 stones of the tribes of Israel that he bore, he represented the people of Israel in his work. And here, as it's describing the oil that is poured on his head that is running down, there's sufficient oil that it is able to not only cover his head, but it's able to actually come and to contact his clothes. It covers his clothes. So that not only is Aaron consecrated for the Lord's work, but so are the tribes of Israel. They will be called a kingdom of priests. They are all consecrated to the Lord's work. They are all a people that belong to the Lord. And so while Aaron has a particular work, they are a people that are united in terms of belonging to the Lord. And so this picture is emerging here of, uh, of one that is being consecrated uh, to the Lord's work. There's something interesting here. Um, because as, uh, as we look at this, many people will look at verse 1, and many people can nod in assent that unity is a good thing, that unity is something attractive. We should be united because we can accomplish more together. But then many people will take that premise and then say, if we could just get rid of God and religion, then we can achieve it. That many people operate with the assumption that religion is what divides us. That if people just stop talking about God, keep your religious views private, then we would be able to be united. But that's not how it works. You can't have unity simply by keeping religion to yourself. And we know that. Because once we start talking about what the social good is, or what justice looks like, we are speaking religious beliefs. We can't avoid speaking religious beliefs. And anytime we aspire after what is the good in society, what would make the world a better place, people are going to have competing views as to what, what that looks like. And so you won't have unity. But here, this psalm is actually pointing us to something that is precious because it's a unity that comes from above. It's not a unity that is forced upon man by political pressure. It's not one that is forced by intimidation. It is a unity that comes from above, down below, from heaven to earth. Because as you read this psalm, notice one of the characteristics of this psalm is the repeated phrase running down. Three times in this psalm, this short psalm, it is going to use that same phrase. It is like the oil running down the head of Aaron. It is like the oil that is running down his beard onto his clothes. It is like the dew that is running down on Mount Zion. The language of the psalm is calling attention that unity comes from above downwards. And that's confirmed even with the, the image of oil. It is, it is the Lord's doing that consecrates a people and unites them together, that binds people together in a bond. This is the Lord's work. And so just as Aaron 
serves as a high priest because he's set apart for that work. And he now serves the tribes of Israel. They are bound together by the Lord's design. And so here we're actually seeing a picture emerge of unity and how it is brought to pass. The wisdom of man would say, just stop talking about certain things. Keep things pragmatic. Keep things very practical. Don't think too much and maybe we can avoid disunity. But what the scriptures are talking about is something more beautiful. It's a greater unity because it drives us deeper and it pulls us together closer. It is a greater unity because it's not simply united out of a uh, pragmatic or self-centered concern, but ultimately out of a common attraction to something greater. Civil unity. We want to protect one another. We don't want war. We don't want people robbing one another. We, are, we agree, we're united on these laws that will protect us to a degree. But this is talking about a unity of something beyond and greater than each of ourselves. It's a unity in attraction to God himself. That's something good. That's something attractive. It is also a unity that is much greater in terms of its alignment of purpose. People come together and they're united for this common goal. It's a single goal. It may be a temporary goal, a limited goal. But what is being described here is a unity of common alignment. They are united by God's will. That they are shaped by God's will for all of life. And so it is something uh, that is uh, deeper as well as greater. It's intentional, uh, the imagery that is being used here as well. This unity, how good and pleasant it is when people are united together. It is like the oil being poured on Aaron's head. Why, why speak about Aaron? Aaron's the high priest. Aaron serves as the mediator in the old covenant he's the one who offers up sacrifices to god and the one who communicates god's blessing to man he is the one who serves as the lord's representative he is the one who is anointed with oil to do that work that's what it meant for him to serve as a high priest but aaron is ultimately a picture serving to anticipate another servant. That Aaron serves as a high priest pointing forward not just to an anointed one, but to the anointed one. You remember last time we looked at Psalm 132. It talked not just about the promises made to David, but it also pointed forward to the anointed one who will come. You have promised there will be an anointed one who will rule forever. That promise is alive and kicking. And there is this expectation that a Messiah, an anointed one, will come. And so here is Aaron being pictured as the the commonality that draws people together. He is the anointed one. But he is picturing ultimately what the Messiah himself would do. 
Isaiah himself speaks about the Messiah that would come. And he describes the one that is anointed. He would say that he was anointed with the Spirit. And he would be anointed with the Spirit to go ahead and to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim the Lord's favor. But there's something else that Isaiah said. The Messiah will be anointed with the Spirit in order to anoint those with mourning with gladness. The Messiah will come to give joy to those who are mourning. He will announce the Lord's favor to those who are grief-ridden with sin. He will announce the Lord's peace to those who have been rebelling against God. You see, Jesus is not just the anointed Messiah. Jesus is the one who draws people unto himself because he is pleasant. (coughs) He is the source of what is good and pleasant that brings people together. When people see Jesus living before them, they see how he takes the form of a servant, humbling himself. They see the wisdom of God. When they see how Jesus is able to tend to people with compassion, realizing that people are like sheep without a shepherd, they're drawn to him. When they see how Jesus was willing to dine with sinners and was not turning away people, they're drawn to him. People were attracted to Jesus. And so when this psalm is talking about how good and pleasant it is, when, when people are united together, when there's a common purpose that binds them together, it is God's will. It is something attractive. But what is it that's going to bring them together? And you see this picture emerging where he says it's like the oil being poured on the high priest. Oil that consecrates the Lord's servant, but also that binds the people of God together. They're bound not just by national boundary lines. They're bound together not just because they have a common family heritage. They're bound together because they have a common faith. They have a common belief about God and his mercy. And they are looking to their mediator, the high priest, the Lord Jesus, to do that. The bond, the people uh, that were bound together, uh, they see their unity then as based on the work of their great high priest. So Christians see that bond that binds them with one another is not common interests, it's not simply social background, but it is the work of the Spirit. So as he's saying, do you appreciate unity? Do you see what it is that brings people together? It is, it is a work of God. It's something that runs from heaven to earth. It runs down through the mediator. It is one that is bound up with the work of God's grace. But also he calls attention to another comparison. In verse 3, he compares it with a, the natural realm. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Mount Hermon uh, was, uh, a high, is a high snow-caped mountain at the northern end of the land, far away from Zion. It's about 9,000 feet above sea level. But uh, it is uh, well known, or it's famous for its dew. 
The dew is crucial uh, for vegetation and the supplies uh, what is necessary for a fruitful land. So the picture that emerges is that which is refreshing, that, that which replenishes. The imagery then is one that gives vitality. The pilgrims, as they come to Jerusalem, as the people of God gather together to worship according to God's commandments, it's not just obedience, it's refreshing. When they come together, they're able to say, it has been good for us to come together. It has, ref- it has replenished and refreshed our souls. Uh, and that is the picture that emerges uh, as they are looking forward to the promise of God, the promise that is commanded from Zion, life forevermore, eternal life. As they come together is that hope that binds them together. The unity between believers is something that is good and precious. But as James Boyce points out, it's also a foretaste of heaven. It's something that abides forever. Life with God and life with God's people. The gift of eternal life will be enjoyed by all those who trust in the Lord and enjoy the blessing uh, that he gives. So when you think of how God is drawing sinners to himself from different backgrounds with very different life stories, it should be truly beautiful for us to see that. Something that unites us uh, from the depth of our being. Something that aligns us together, not just on one issue, but on a way of life because we have a common attraction to the glory of Christ. We begin to appreciate then when we come to, especially the New Testament, how often the scriptures call us to maintain the unity of the faith. In Ephesians 4 there, we are told to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We see Jesus praying that people would be uh, one, that they might be united together. There's a reason why. Because it is showing the purposes of God. But it is also God's gift to us that we would enjoy the work that he is doing in one another and uh, in his people as a whole. But how is it then that we can maintain that unity? How is it that we can protect that unity? How is it that we can enjoy that that unity? In Ephesians 4, Paul mentions four ways in which we can do that. First, by humility. We are to remember that we too are sinners in need of Christ's saving work and not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Secondly, gentleness. Our aim is not to assert ourselves, but to build others up in the truth. Thirdly, patience. Expressing a a commitment with others over time. A commitment to the issue. It is not simply concerned with our own desires, but of living in light of the bigger picture. And finally, bearing with one another in love. What does it mean to bear with one another in love? It means humility. It means gentleness. It means patience. All bound up together. Christians then value the blessing of unity when we actively and intentionally seek out to build up one another and to root out resentment. Because brothers and sisters can become divided. We can turn on one another. 
And so Christians ought to value the unity and to strive with the spirit to maintain that unity in the bond of peace, speaking the truth in love. Because unity is a gift of God from heaven to earth. Unity is something that celebrates his son. We're commonly attracted to the glory of the mediator. And thirdly, because unity is something that is to be maintained according to God's will. When believers are able to do so, not only to those around them, they will become a ministering servant in the church, but also outside the church. The high priest was anointed with that oil, that blended fragrance, cinnamon and myrrh and cassia and cane. It had a fragrance to it so that the priest would smell. But in the same way as Christians live in this world, the Apostle Paul says that we are to be the aroma of Christ. And we show that in part in the way that we express that bond in Christ. As we declare the good news about Jesus to others, it becomes a fragrance of death to death to some, but it also becomes a fragrance of life to life for those who believe. And so part of the calling of Christians is to value what God is doing in pulling people together, but also of drawing attention to the greatness of Christ in the way that they live. How are you living your life? Are you wanting to live your life as a lone ranger, separate from the people of God? Realize that as the Psalms describe the pilgrim life, the journey of faith, it's not on a solo mission. It's with the company of God's people. That's something we should cherish. And if you're sitting here as someone who hasn't trusted in Christ, what is it that you ultimately unite yourself around? What ultimately is it that attracts you and that you're living for? This psalm says there's something beautiful that draws the people of God together. It's ultimately found in the Lord Jesus, the one who is anointed with the Spirit to pray, proclaim good news to the poor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about the Psalms, as we think about the calling to appreciate the unity between believers, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for ways in which we can backbite, ways in which we can become resentful, ways in which we can hold grudges. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people who seek first your ways and humble ourselves under your will. Go before us, we pray, and help us to treasure the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.